Hello everyone and welcome back once again to the Top 1% Podcast. My name is Tom. My name is Seb. <laughs> and as you can yeah. hear, Seb is rather deflated right now. Actually, uh, not deflated, <laughs> just very mad. No, I'm kidding. Well, it, it, this brings us to our first topic of the week and that is the huge story surrounding the Iowa caucus fiasco. And I actually think it was a rather big week in US politics, to be honest, because we had the State of the Union address from Donald Trump. Of course, we had the impeachment verdict, which is delivered today, which is why this podcast is coming a bit later. And of course, we have the whole Iowa caucus fiasco. So if you don't know, I'll let Seb take the lead on this because he has really <laughs> scrupulously analyzed the the numbers and results from yeah, around the region. Yeah. All right. So anyway, what, what happened was uh, everyone went to the Iowa caucuses um, and, you know, usual stuff happens at Iowa caucuses. They just did that. Uh, everyone was staying around. There was some yeah, discrepancies here and there. People were like, ah, this is doesn't look right or correct. It was all right. Everyone went sort of, well, not necessarily went home, but the results were starting to come in to the uh, Iowa Democratic Party. They were starting to tabulate the results. And they'd been releasing about 1.5, 1.7% of the, of the votes. Uh, and this was at about, I'd say, uh, 11 p.m. of uh, U.S. time. So pretty late-ish. So at that point in 2016, about 80% of the votes had actually come in versus, of course, 1.7%, which was a really weird time at that point. So everyone was just like, what's going on? Um this was, of course, followed by the fact that uh, probably two hours later, the uh, Iowa Democratic Party uh, was saying that they had to uh, do quality checks on the results that were coming in mm. uh, due to discrepancies here and there, and they wanted to uh, verify the, the facts. Uh, in the aftermath and the sort of um, evaluation of what was going on within the, uh, the, the caucus, people were starting to question the validity and the uh, ability of the app that had been employed for the uh, the purposes of this Iowa caucus and the very what was it we- called uh, um, it was called it wasn't called it didn't, they didn't call it anything but it was owned by a company called Shadow yeah that's it and Shadow. um People began to investigate this company that had been, um, you know, uh, had been uh, commissioned to take out this app and put it into Iowa, and they were starting to find some very weird and very interesting links between the the uh, the, uh, the team behind it and, of course, Pete Buttigieg's campaign. And this was sort of in the midst of when Buttigieg was looking not too bad in the results that were coming in. It was one point seven, so we couldn't really tell what was happening. But um, at that point, Buttigieg had come out and said that uh, by all metrics, we uh, have won in Iowa. Uh, really weird, really weird timing. That was, that was absurd because at the time of that rally, there had been 0% of those results released. Yep. And I found it extremely odd. And I don't know why he said that because if there is, uh, of course, as a result of this, the conspiracy theories have been full steam ahead. But in in this case, I would generally advise caution when it comes to raising conspiracy theories. But with the DNC, there is a precedent of rigging there is a precedent of corruption so in this case it's actually not completely unreasonable to suspect foul play or some sort of rigging process and the fact that pete Buttigieg came out in this rally and, and said it looks like we have won or something along those lines yeah. it seems extremely fishy when the general public don't know the results and he presumably doesn't know the results unless something is going on so a lot of people have been talking about his uh, lucrative ties to this app um mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Biden campaign also donated yeah, to it. Yeah, a little it. bit of money. So, so. so and I, obviously, a lot of people are raising the, the question, why isn't there a, 
a, a, an obvious conflict of interest there. Why should this be allowed? Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, the CEO of that shadow company is actually the wife of one of Pete Buttigieg's campaign directors. Oh, wow. So there you go. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the the rest of the story went as follows. So after these quality checks, there was a, an absolute standstill of results coming in. Uh, there was nothing on the waves. The, the Iowa Democratic Party was saying that they were going to wait to release some results once they'd uh, figured out what was happening. There was probably a day gap between, obviously, the Iowa caucus ending on, and the next batch of results, which is, which is about 60% of the votes coming out. And they showed Buttigieg somehow winning, uh, even though at that point Bernie Sanders had released his internal numbers to the public that showed him in a pretty clear lead against Buttigieg at that point. Mm-hmm. That might have been because those districts were slightly in favor of, of Sanders. But it began to actually look very clear that the 60% of votes that had come out for the from the Democratic Party were actually in precincts and districts that were very favorable to Buttigieg. And mm-hmm. many of the districts that hadn't been counted for were actually in favor of, uh, of Bernie Sanders. So... At that point is when Buttigieg started to do a sort of almost a media tour uh, based on those results because, of course, by all, all accounts, at that point, he'd been winning in Iowa. Of course, the the, the popular vote uh, was, uh, was was in Bernie's favor. Mm. Uh, it was only the state delegate equivalents, which is an absolute... I don't even want to get into the into the uh, arithmetic and the maths of that, that process. Yeah, on, I still honestly don't understand how the delegate system totally works. And by all accounts, what I've seen... Uh, being leaked from this caucus is that some of the delegates were mishandled or miscalculated in favor of certain candidates to judge so well yeah so i mean as a continuation of that sort of the 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 results have been drip fed over the past few days we we now have 97 percent of the votes in with Buttigieg judge ahead of sanders by 0.1 percent of the vote uh with a few precincts still to go that could actually flip it uh, all the way to bernie sanders winning now go back about probably 24 hours before this this event happened um there was about 71 percent maybe 75 percent of the numbers came in there was a new batch that had been dropped that brought 75 percent to 85 percent and immediately Looking at those numbers, people on, on Twitter especially, especially were looking at them and, and thinking, why in the world has Deval Patrick mm. got this many numbers? And Tom Steyer. And Tom Steyer got these many numbers in this district, which was doing really well for Bernie. People were sort of unpacking it, trying to figure out what was happening. And it became very clear that for some reason, um, they found results from the actual precinct chair of that district mm. who had uh, posted them onto Facebook so people would know what would ha- what had happened. They found a discrepancy of about 500 delegate equivalents uh, between the Sanders vote in the, the, the votes released versus what was released by the uh, the precinct captain. Oh, wow. And uh, Buttigieg was about like, uh, well, I don't think there was any difference between his numbers. And then Warren was also like about minus 450 down on, on those totals, which raised incredible suspicions considering what had happened. In fact, after that um, came down, it, it took, it literally took um, New, the New York Times uh, chief data analyst, um, I think his name is like Nate Cohn, and um, he came out and he was like, I'm looking at these numbers and these are fishy. So mainstream media had to literally tell the Iowa Democratic Party that these numbers were completely incorrect. Mm. Uh, they, they corrected them after the fact. But the fact is that when those numbers were dropped, it was three days, well, two and a half days after the Iowa caucus, they'd been counting votes for two and a half days. Yeah. There was no excuse for those numbers being incorrect at that yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people have been saying they, they're hoping that it's just gross incompetency, but uh, precedent points towards yeah. some sort of corruption or well, some sort of tactical move here. Well, I'd, I'd say if, you, if you're being optimistic, you'd look at this and say, this is complete incompetence yeah. and stupidity. And, and I mean, the, either way, it doesn't look good for the Democratic no. Party. Um, as I said, and we'll get to this later, but um, 
they're kind of uh, handing Trump good good press and free press mm-hmm. at the moment with all of these fiascos. So it, it's not really helping their whether it, whether it was calculated or just completely uh, incompetent. It's not helping their cause at all. No matter who ends up on top, there's going to be a sort of stain or question mark on their name. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, as I said, you know, if you're overly optimistic, you'd look at it as gross incompetence. If you're slightly cynical, you'd be looking at this and wondering who's in what 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 interests are governing the narrative that is coming out of Iowa. Because Iowa, yeah. the results actually don't really matter too much uh, based on what comes out. It's actually a lot of the media narrative that flows through from yeah. it. and so and that's why it is feasible that it could be somewhat tampered yeah, or yeah, at least tactically delayed as because we're, if we were if we were if we were at 97 percent of the vote right now which is you know burning like 0.1 percent behind biden fourth which is a, a pretty much a confirmed uh number if those results had been released on the night of iowa they would have had a, a full news cycle to to um deluge uh, to, 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 to hand them out to various people and to show that a biden as being the front runner was an absolute joker and had performed terribly in comparison to where he was expected to perform in iowa yeah um questioning of course his electability argument that he's been running on for his entire life um mm-hmm. and then of course Buttigieg doing well might have given him a light slight boost and of course bernie doing well might have given him also a nice boost going into new hampshire yeah so all those narratives were essentially removed from the process because of the fact that these results just kept, didn't come in until well today, and they're still coming in. We still don't have the full results, but yeah, I think uh, as reco- as we're recording, the results stand at about ninety seven percent. Yeah, with as you said, uh, Buttigieg in a zero point one percent lead. So yep. it's it's extremely close. And you were actually mentioning to me just before we started recording that. Uh, a lot of people are projecting a last-minute Sanders win because it's yep. that close, and they seem to be saving mm-hmm. um, that reveal for, for the end. Well, once again, it brings up the questions. If you if you don't have the full results as the Iowa Democratic Party, why release them? Why why slowly yeah. drip feed them out to the to the public? Because all it's done is is created this this uh, very. <laughs> I mean, what, whatever happened, it has worked in favor of Buttigieg. Of course, yeah. that was calculated or not, he has ex- gained a lot of attention. It, he's basically all everyone is talking about mm-hmm. right now. I'm I'm sure he's gone up in the polls, although I have, don't have confirmation on that. And uh, it seems to be um, largely favorable for him going into New Hampshire. So, once again, as you said before, we have to ask who and what is controlling this narrative coming out of Iowa and why is it happening? Yeah, once again, yeah, I I hate dabbling in conspiracy theories because they're just... Uh, But once again, there's precedent. Yeah, there there is a a precedent. And unfortunately, with with, with the Iowa results that have come out, like I mentioned before, those results that were released at 85%, where they showed a, a minus 500 discrepancy between the Sanders results and what, what came out. Once again, there's, there's no excuse for that after two and a half days of tabulating votes. Yeah. If you come to that point, you should have, at the very least, good numbers. At I would have understood maybe like 10, 10 points off. Oh, that's, a, that's a rounding error or something yeah. stupid like that. 500 is either mm. gross incompetence or a, a true attempt to rig the, uh, the, the primary itself. Um, I am, by the way, very glad that uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie's campaign brought the um, uh, its own app to the caucuses in mm. order to ensure that they had no um, discrepancies, even though the, the numbers did look more favorable for him on the app. Um, I think coming out of this Iowa um, caucus, there's a, a sort of, at least from my analysis and what's going to sort of play through, 
Um, New Hampshire is probably going to be a two-horse race between Sanders and Burjudge. I still imagine Sanders will come out on top. I, I won't uh, give that as a guarantee. Um, and if he does, that's a, another good sort of new cycle for Bernie. Yeah. Going into Nevada, I think Biden's sort of collapse. If he finishes fourth in New Hampshire and also fourth in New Iowa, as, he's, as he will be doing in Iowa. But Surely over. Yeah. It's come to the point where you have to imagine that Biden's campaign is uh, no longer viable. Mm. And in fact, 538, which has usually been very bullish on mm. on um, on, on, Bernie, on Biden's campaign, showed a, uh, I think it was... Before the Iowa caucus, he was projected to be um, at 46% of, uh, of a chance of winning uh, half the delegates, uh, or more than half of the pledged delegates um, uh, at the um, at the uh, the DNC. So he yeah, would yeah. come out as the yeah. um, as the nominee. Now, of course, um, those numbers have dropped 17%. Yeah. So it's quite incredible how much of a, a change Iowa's had on the on the entire race and I and think there's a, it says there's a one in two percent there's one in two chance of Sanders uh, claiming the yep. the nomination yep. which is is considerable rise so he seems to be leading it by quite a while actually. yeah and the the thing the, the the interesting thing that's happened because of that is the fact that Bernie's sort of become a front runner in, in, in uh, New Hampshire but of course I think you know the Booty Judge is going to have a uh, a fairly good bump into it because of the news cycle that he's gotten. So it will be a competitive mm. race. But Nevada is where I think Buttigieg has no chance. Buttigieg has always uh, very much struggled to to get any votes among um, uh, communities of uh, minorities, especially, of course, the African-American community. The Latino community is nothing... Uh, is is uh, nowhere near as um, as a coalesced around him uh, as the, well, that, the white that, suburban. That's the entire problem I have with this scenario is that I can't realistically seeing any sane, intelligent, or even an informed person look at Pete Buttigieg's pa- campaign, look at him as a person, and think, he's the person I need right now, I'm going to put all my trust into him. Yeah. I mean, sure, I think for some people, the fact that he's young, the fact that he's gay might help him a little bit, but n- nowhere near to the extent that he has this sudden surge and he becomes a front-runner, as he seems to be suggesting mm-hmm. after this Iowa caucus. I think that, uh, if anything, it's a momentary spasm of support. Uh, and at worst, it is coordinated rigging of his support. Yeah. So I think um, with the likes of Pete Buttigieg, he just doesn't have the the plan to beat Trump. He just doesn't have the compre- comprehensive uh, policy proposals that the American people want necessarily. He's kind of flip-flopped on... Medicare for all, so he's he hasn't really managed to appease either side of that debate in in a hilarious way. And he's, he's got no spine. That's the thing. I've I mentioned this before to you, but I I think he's probably one of the sleaziest politicians I've seen in quite a while, and also one of the most opportunistic. Well, and that's, also that's that's the, that's that's the thing. I, I believe he's the the same cookie cutter type of politician who's generally corrupt and usually is more of a careerist politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's the exact type of politician that pretty much everyone rejected in 2016 yeah. as a result of the Trump election and, and Brexit. And what we're seeing here now is a revival of that, but now it's through a young and bright, bubbly person, yeah. or at least someone who's trying to be <laughs> bright and bubbly. So I think it's it's basically the, the redressing of that old yeah, politician I, type. I, I fully agree on that point. I think the, the interesting thing is that uh, at least... Uh, one demographic within the in the Democratic Party, at least, at least young people, the very people that sort of would you'd expect, kind of, if you were looking from the outside to kind of um, 
empathize and sympathize with, with the Buddha judge campaign. Yeah. Totally rejective. Uh, in fact, um, the numbers, you know, the disparity in numbers between voters under 45 and voters above 50, it's actually the people above 50, the, the boomers and the, uh, and the uh, pre-boomers who, who overwhelmingly vote for Buddha judge in, in his, um, in, in Iowa particularly, and also mm. probably in future elections. So it, it stands in stark contrast because, of course, if you are looking at that, it also represents a, an idea that Burjaj doesn't represent anything of the future within the party at the very least. He's just sort of playing to the to the base of, of already established Democrats, which is, of course, yeah. an interesting um, sort of dynamic. I think, once again, <laughs> I can't be the only one that looks at Burjaj and sort of sees um, a manufactured sort of uh, focus group uh, driven uh, well, there's candidate. even evidence to suggest that that well, is the case. Well, yeah, well. I mean, there's, there's stories going back to 2013, which was when Buttigieg was like a, a no-name uh, mm. person. So the stories coming from then sort of kind of have credibility just because of the fact that if someone was making up a story back then, there's no incentive for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back then, they were saying that uh, since grade two, because this was a person that had gone to school with uh, Buttigieg, since grade two, apparently Buttigieg has been uh, vying to be a president. So if, mm. that, if that's the case... It once again demonstrates to me uh, that all Buddha Judge wants is, is to be in the uh, yeah. Oval Office. There's no, there's no. Um, it's almost, it's almost an a childhood fantasy or, a, yeah. or an egomaniacal move. And, and he's, um, he's essentially a careerist, as I said before, mm-hmm. one of those careerist politicians who who only do things to serve their career and not help the American people. And what, what's more, he has our favorite term, the charisma of a wet rag yeah. when it comes to his campaign rallies. He he, he seems completely, basically pandering in my, mm-hmm. in my eyes. He, he doesn't have any sort of genuine charisma or even um, a, kind, a sense of uh, kinship with the American people. He doesn't seem to actually reach out to the American voter or the well, average I, American. I, I he seems to live in his own bubble and then try and somehow communicate with, with the average American as if... A robot is learning how to. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, I mean, there's a, a photo of him with uh, in a car with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and if you obviously look yeah, at, you know, I, if you yeah. if you look at Mark Zuckerberg's interactions, it actually kind of reflects pretty well on Buttigieg because, of course, Zuckerberg almost looks like a robot when he when he talks and mm. and he speaks. Um, you know, I, I I would say this. You know, Buttigieg would probably throw the the American people on, under the bus if it allowed him to be in uh, the American president. He'd, I'd, yeah. I'd imagine he'd stop at no ends. To, to, to make uh, it into the Oval Office. And I also think his career trajectory and where, where he's gone in politics truly reflects that. Going to, of course, Harvard, being a Rhodes Scholar, then becoming a veteran as a military, uh, and then becoming a small-town mayor. Also, uh, it does help that he's, he's gay, so he can work on that identity politics card, even though he yeah. is white and he is male. Yeah. Um, all the cards are there. So if, if for him, you know, it's just a... It's, just a, it's all a mm. game, really. So, what do you think the whole fiasco surrounding the Iowa caucus will do to at least the impact the near future of uh, these campaigns, or even the long-term future? What, who do you think will become a nominee as a result of this, and who's best equipped to deal with Trump still? Keeping in mind that I I believe that Trump is in a stronger position than probably ever before yeah, after no, I, I the impeachment and State of the Union and, and now this uh, absolute mess up by the Democrats. I, I think, honestly, the 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 fact is that if the, nothing had happened between, say, I don't know, July of last year and today, you know, no impeachment process or anything, I think the Democrats actually be in a, in, in a better place. The, the whole impeachment cycle has taken up the news cycle. It's polarized people. It's put... 
it's put pressure on on republicans to coalesce around themselves and to and to obviously vote in 2020 it's put pressure on to the democrats to coalesce but even then they're still fractured in in one sense or another uh as to the um the campaigns themselves i not necessarily i won't necessarily predict but this is what i imagine will happen um i think blue judge will emerge as a, a sort of um an attempt to be uh uh, a two-horse race with between him and Bernie, uh, that only will last in New Hampshire, and then after Nevada, it's going to be uh, pretty much impossible for him to move anywhere past. Um, even if he wins New Hampshire, he still has really no viability going forward because in those majority black states in the South, in in Super Tuesday, yeah, and of very course, poorly. and of course, um, California, he has no chance of of winning over voters. He polls around up zero to one percent amongst blacks, which is just horrendous numbers. Mm. Uh, Bernie was given crap in twenty sixteen for more for numbers that were actually probably twenty times more than that. So, <laughs> uh, to 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 put it lightly, um, Boo Judge himself has. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll go into that. So, yeah, I think that's what will happen in New Hampshire, at least. That's for the short term. At least Buttigieg sort of soaring and maybe having a, a viability of, of winning New Hampshire. Post-New Hampshire, I think the the, the fall of Biden is going to be uh, a way of entering for uh, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, yeah. Bloomberg has already spent $250 million of his own money on, on advertising, and he's also instructed his people to double spending in ad. Of course, uh, that's just corrupt in all in all sense uh there was also a report revealed today that three campaign uh people directly within the bloomberg campaign were actually appointed to the dnc rules committee uh for the upcoming convention once again corruption mm-hmm. at its best and, and so a I, few former clinton advisors were oh yeah well, well, plenty of former clinton yeah. advisors of john podesta the uh, um yeah the chair of the uh, hillary 2016 campaign and of course uh a, a long-time Bernie hater. Most of the people <laughs> at the convention are, if 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 for no uh, reason or another, are, are Bernie haters. Uh, they're pretty um, out there on that that point. Mm. Anyway, so I think Bloomberg will have a uh, will, will rise to 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 be the, uh, the the Biden of the race going into Super Tuesday. Yeah. He spent so much money on those Super Tuesday states, uh, Michael Bloomberg, and of course his polling has steadily gone up as a result of it. Um, it will be a test to see how much money can buy you in an election because yeah, that will be Michael Bloomberg is first of all as uh, the charisma or wet rag mm. um, his campaign stands on nothing well, he's he brings- also a billionaire in a time where it is uh, unfashionable it's extreme to say unfashionable or controversial be a billionaire but they're at least uh, looked at with some sort of skepticism yeah. at least well I think yeah, and that's so- because due to the rhetoric of the likes well, of yeah. Sanders and yeah. AOC but it was interesting to see that Iowa caucus how the likes of Tom Steyer the, the Tom Styers of the world, they they were polling above uh, Andrew Yang, who obviously has is a newcomer, but he's had a very consistent and fervent support throughout mm-hmm. this whole campaign. He has gained a lot through you know grassroots donations like the Sanders campaign and and um, not much uh, spending as far as I know. So it was very strange to see that. It's I saw some people theorizing that uh, some of the delegates were taken away from Sanders and given to the likes of Steyer. That's true. Which kind of bolstered their campaign, and now Yang is left in the gutter. Well, Yang, and Yang actually is another, beat out Steyer. Huh? Yang beat oh, he eventually so. beat him out, because yeah, yeah. last time I saw he was below him. But No, that was because of those numbers that were meant to be for Bernie. So. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, yeah, so Yang is obviously uh, another one of those kind of anti-establishment candidates who mm-hmm. who would shake up the DNC if he had his way. So I think that that there are there is a certain uh, interest to take him down there. But of course, I don't want to venture too far into the depths of the conspiratorial world, but I think it is important to at least look at these results or look at this whole fiasco actually 
and just uh, look at it with a degree of skepticism and even doubt because we know what the DNC are capable of. They're a proven corrupt mm-hmm. organization. For some reason as well, I, I don't know why the Electoral Commission didn't look into them or uh, last time around. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was proven that they were uh, rigging their uh, primaries. So I have no idea why that they didn't face any punishment for that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty well documented. WikiLeaks exposed the entire thing for the uh, the whole world to see. Uh, I think the the reason was I'm not kidding. I think they had a, a court trial over this, and uh, the the reasoning behind it was that what the what the uh, Democratic National Committee said was that uh, all well and good you've pointed out this and this and this. You know, uh, there might be you know charges of corruption here, but. Uh, considering the fact that the DNC is a private institution, there is no, um, what the, their very words were something along the lines of, and of course I might botch this, but it was along the lines mm. of, uh, there is no incentive or uh, requirement for us to, to follow a democratic process to select a, a person for our candidate. Because they're a private organization. Private organization. What, essentially what that absurd. means is if you were to take it quite literally, is they're saying they can pick anyone they want. There's no need they for them to... They can do what con- they want. Yeah, yeah. They, there's no need for them to consult with the people because it's a private institution. It doesn't matter. So that, I mean, that, a lot of people recently have been calling for the abolition of the Democratic Party. And I, I don't think that's too far out of order well, given well, I think statements that, like that. I, I think there needs to, to be more than two parties within the, the US at uh, this point. Oh, yeah. But of course, ranked choice voting would probably have to be instituted to allow that to happen because, of course, if you didn't have that there, there'd be spoiler candidates here and there. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, on the Andrew Yang point, I was looking at some some numbers, some some actual numbers, some stats that came out from, from Iowa that were uh, kind of weird, to be honest. Um, I think um, the, you know how you can, obviously, when you're in a room and you don't have the viability threshold, you have to move to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, for Andrew Yang supporters, uh, 48% of them went to Judge. That is very peculiar, especially yeah. considering... Uh, I think it was the day or, or two days yep. before the Iowa caucus, he mentioned that he would urge his ca- uh, voters to yep. move towards uh, the Sanders campaign if he hadn't done very well. And the fact that 48%... So what, what, what happened 35% to 35% other- to B- Bernie... Um, 48% yeah, I can't I see that because well, they have virtually no points of agreement well the the one thing I can imagine is they, they um, the Andrew Yang supporters at least the very online ones are Andrew Yang or bust there is no other way they go about mm, it and mm. in their minds they might have thought going to Bernie would actually play into the narrative of Bernie winning further on and if they went to Buddha Judge, it might help bring Bernie down. And if they brought Bernie down, they could win as Andrew Yang support. Trust me, don't go on Andrew Yang forums. I promise you, they're some of the most deluded places you ever see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. They are so some... The idea of tactical voting and... Uh... No, it's, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there might have been that case. But I think the, the, the takeaway from this is that... Um, I mean, look at the, the most electable Sleepy Joe uh, got hammered and... Um, I mean, at this point, I'm not very surprised. It's surprising he's still... The only thing that's really surprising is he's still leading the polls. The, yep. the fact that he plummeted here isn't that surprising. The American people are now seeing through his his uh, his old political, you know, 1950s politician ways. And, and the fact that he's he's so, for lack of a better term, senile. He, yep. he, he doesn't seem like a man who could confidently and, and cogently lead a country. Well, I saw him the other day on... on a, I saw a video of him um, coming out of a, a rally and he had some, like a maybe like a 25-year-old person holding his arm like mm. to, to guide him around it just it, i honestly look at, at that kind of stuff and think that's genuinely elder abuse. yeah yeah uh, like, i mean it might be it might sound very um provocative and, and controversial to say but i honestly think sometimes that binds in the race simply because he was sort of forced to be in it um for various reasons um 
I'm reminded of a quote um, back in, in 2016, a former um, Barack Obama advisor. This is before uh, the Iowa caucus was saying to, to uh, Joe Biden, look, if you enter the race, you're going to be in third uh, after, uh, with Bernie winning in, in Iowa. And uh, that was in 2016. Anyway, um, I think sort of the, the whole takeaway that we should take away from, from at least this is that um, Bernie might be in a better footing after Iowa. We have to sort of wait and see. Biden could be on the plummet collapse, but of course, he's always sort of just held up as a paper tiger for the entire sort of uh, election so far. He yeah. might just keep being the paper tiger, but he <laughs> yeah. isn't just continue to, to stand yeah. there and, and somehow win votes. I, I don't... It's, Im- it's interesting to see how the media have reacted to this and then they've also backtracked at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah, sure. It's been... All right, well, I think we'll move on now to uh, the State of the Union, which occurred the other day, actually. And it came in a time of political turmoil, of course, <laughs> during the impeachment uh, proceedings, uh, the, uh, the Senate stage. and During just, the Iowa Yeah, fiasco. during the Iowa fiasco. So it's safe to say that America had their ears pricked. And at the time, uh, I think... Trump's speech was actually rather calm and collected. It was a bit low energy for, for Trump, to yeah, be honest. I don't know. Compared to most Trump speeches, it was definitely... I was hoping for a bit more, like, you know, yeah. just, just go for a trial. He seemed I mean. either tired or sick or something. <laughs> but either way, it, it was more reserved from Trump. And, the, yeah, the message was, um, you know, typical uh, State of the Union. It, it, uh, it was about a president advertising themselves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, listing all the great achievements they, they've accomplished and yet there's not much more to add from me. I mean, I thought it was quite unifying as well. I mean, for a lot of people, they can never be unified on the Trump issue because he's such a divisive figure. And we saw that in the audience. We saw the the Democratic wing of of the building just sitting down and uh, failing to applaud to anything, really. Except for Juan Guaido. Yeah. (laughs) I do remember that, actually. Um uh, Pelosi ripped up the uh, the state of the yes, Union and speech. That, and that's like, great. Oh, it's Man, I'm, I'm seeing so many gifts across Twitter. I'm so happy. Yes, quick. <laughs> you don't even understand how dumb of a thing. I think, I'm not even kidding, two hours after that event happened, there was a, a post from Pelosi on Twitter where it said, uh, where it showed a, a picture of her holding out her hand to, to, yeah. to shake Trump's hand and was yeah. saying like, we, we, uh, we, we want to work together. She said wa- something along the line, along the lines of uh, he shredded the truth therefore I shredded the papers oh, okay. something along those lines it's just a meaningless and gesture honestly it's, it's 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 some kind of rehearsed act of defiance a, a bit of pol- political theatre to make those you know CNN pundits scream their heads off at this at it's this not event. even CNN pundits it's mostly just Yas Queen Twitter honestly uh, pr- pretty much it, it, it's, it's entirely out of touch perspective on the political landscape and she th- thinking that people People respond well to that is incredibly naive. I don't think the average American responded well to that at all. They saw that as a a literal tearing up of the union, um, an act of defiance, a a, uh, a dereliction of her duties. So I I don't think what she did was necessarily wise. It was kind of just a piece of absolute rubbish, meaningless showmanship that tried to signify something. And it made it even funnier because the next day, of course, which was today... Uh, Trump was in, acquitted uh, during the Senate trial for impeachment, mm. so he will he'll not be removed from office. I think that's something that the, the vast majority of us saw coming anyway. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah and uh, this is just a big blow for the Democrats, really. I think this really helps his electability chances. The average American who's not too invested in politics could could really look at this and see 
that the Democrats are very corrupt. If you pair this with the Pelosi shredding and the Iowa caucus, they're just going to look at the Democrats uniformly as this completely incompetent and corrupt uh, coalition of, of politicians. Yeah, um, for all the the fussing and, and turning over the fact that Trump's been a terrible president for the past uh, three years or so, uh, the Democrats have done an awful lot to just help him out uh, in getting a second term, really. Uh, it's been disaster after disaster for them. I'm not sure. I honestly truly it started believe... started off with the Brett Kavanaugh thing. I, I truly <laughs> believe that the, the Democrats are managed and sort of advised by people that have no idea what they're doing and especially people that probably worked very closely in the Hillary 2016 campaign yeah. that have no idea what they're talking about firstly and have no idea secondly what the American people want and what they should be talking to them about you go to the American people you talk about healthcare you talk about their, their everyday lives and, and what's what's struggling with them you ask them what's what's wrong with them they'll tell you that and then you go ahead and, and do an impeachment process. It was just a, it was just a bit of a, a laugh in, in in. But you know what? I mean, it was it was all worth it because in the end, of course, Mitt Romney voted for for Trump's removal. So I mean, that's that's a that's a win in my situation. Well, I think Trump aptly criticised him on Twitter as a careerist politician, which I think is what he is. He's, he's an opportunist and he likes to go wherever the wind blows. So I, I don't think anyone could. Everyone should really take that move with a grain of salt because it is Mitt Romney. Um, what were your thoughts on the State of the Union and the subsequent uh, acquittal in in the impeachment? Uh, yeah, as I said, sort of a bit low energy from the uh, from the uh, the Trump master. Um, it, did, it did kind of reiterate to me that uh, in an ideal world, if I had like uh, if I had a fantasy world that I could have, and it was uh, you know Bernie as president, if I could have uh, anyone as press secretary, I'd have Donald Trump as press secretary because he'd be one of the funniest people to just put in front of the press and just have him answer questions about oh, various indeed. things. He would he would insult the reporters. It would, it'd just, give, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be great fun. It'd be great fun. And I think you know if you told that to liberals, they they go like, oh, I hate Trump and yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. At least the left kind of understands that Trump has an appeal simply because of his just brilliant humor. Uh, yeah. The fact was that he, I mean, if you go back a week ago, he made fun of Mini Mike B's height, yeah. and that went trending and it was funny as hell yeah uh, he, he for some reason trump thought that mini might be was going to turn up to a debate with a, with a, a box and he, yeah he said he, he, said he, he was asking for a box to <laughs> appear I, higher on the I stage could, i could i couldn't do that honestly I, I was i was genuinely laughing when i saw yeah. the, the post that had happened i saw a, a lot of folks on the left especially the bernie sanders supporters they love that because yeah. they oh, they loathe mike b especially how he's trying to oh yeah for sure for sure buy his his place in the Democratic Party. Yeah, I so. think the State of the Union overall though was not unsurprising. There was nothing too surprising. Yeah, uh, I, I, lo- it, I, I mean he he was gonna uh, uh, you know espouse the the the, the uh, grand accomplishments of you know his economy. He called it a uh, a blue collar boom. He was talking about the millions of jobs that were added, and then obviously the Republicans got up and roared in applause. He talked about um, black unemployment being lowered. Uh, Hispanic unemployment. So overall, I think uh, it paints a good picture. And uh, and the fact of the matter is that Trump's economy is doing steadily. It's not. It's not certainly not doing poorly by any definition. Any de- definition. The fact of the matter. The the question is that uh, will he be able to sustain this across a second term, and will he be able be able to deliver uh, on what the American people want? Because 
By all accounts, this entire Medicare for all debate has really heightened the public uh, conscious in regard to 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 so healthcare such, in general. Yeah, yeah, such ideas. So I think some sort of healthcare reform should be on the horizon, whether it be within the within <laughs> the the bounds of Medicare for all, or if it's just a, another kind of uh, Obamacare esque plan i, I uh, doubt trump will have anything as a health care plan i he does surprise people though so we, we we do we will never know until, until well, it course, happens but, but i i doubt he would he would do it first he just puts him on the back foot on the thing i think he'd be better just uh to to, to attack the, the whoever it is the nominee on various other things Indeed. um on on the on the point there's no reason for him to engage in the debate because it, it um, it slows him down on the other things that he can talk about and mm. uh, of course it is a big issue for various people in America but of course he can sort of redirect the, the, the questions and the debates and uh, I think that's probably what he will do in, eventually in the in the uh, general election. I very much doubt he will talk about healthcare very much. If he does, he will do probably what he did in 2016, which was to to sound sort of like he's moving to the left. Because in many cases he actually ran to the, to the left of Hillary in, in, in a couple of situations. Yeah. Um, so of course you know like trade uh of course well, i was thinking if he takes on this boris johnson-esque mantle of adopting traditionally uh, left-wing economic policies such as in- increased spending that you don't typically associate with a sort of uh capitalist neoliberal uh republican party uh, government or even uh, well, that's, well that's trump's administration though that's yeah like- so perhaps if they were to be tactical about it they might promise increases in spending in some areas I'm not too sure. Only the future will tell us. Yeah, I can't tell what will happen, but I I would assume the the strategy would be to, um, at least for Trump, um, you know, to to just uh, continue his sort of talk about economy, 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 uh, doing more unemployment, you know, immigration, all that kind of stuff, and that would hand in the wind potentially. We'll we'll see what happens. It's hard to know. I think the the fact that he was acquitted of both charges as well in the impeachment uh, mm. trial um, definitely helps uh, both obstruction of Congress yeah. and obstruction of uh, uh, no sorry um, uh, abusing the, the presidency I forgot the exact terminology that's no, abuse of uh, Congress yeah yeah yeah. Um, so as a result of this really as I said before the, the Democrats come across in a very bad state and for someone like Sanders, I think, or even Andrew Yang, people like this, this is unfortunate because they're rallying against the establishment. They're only running for the Democrats, really, because that's the only way they can really get into politics. Well, I mean, if Bernie ran as an independent, you know, people would have outcries because obviously, you know, he represents a, a, a left-wing agenda, but um, obviously the Democrats would, would be up in arms because he'd lose them the election, essentially. It'd be a big guarantee if he did that. So yeah. there's no viable way for Bernie to not run in the Democratic Party to, to have a chance. At, uh, at going against Trump in a one-on-one, so to speak. Yeah, it's weird because typically when you're subservient to a to a party ticket, it's usually within the the parliamentary system where you're where you're a minister or a member for parliament. <laughs> but but the fact that you're running as an individual candidate uh, proposing all of these uh, policies and people actually vote for you as an individual, it's very strange that you kind of have to subscribe to some sort of party ticket well you kind of have to but the obviously the the, the entire theory of change behind the Sanders campaign has always been to to over overhaul and uh, and reconstruct the democratic party once he's in mm. in, the, in the position of power it's sort of that inside out 
kind of politics yeah. uh, backed by an outside-in movement to, yeah, to try yeah. and place them in there. So, yeah. um, you know, it's it's dependent on us to see where, whether or not that's successful. Um, you know, we haven't been able to, to figure that out yet. At the very least, it's sort of moved the Democratic Party in a different direction than it's been for, for probably like 20, 30 years now. Yeah. Uh, it has shaken it up to its core. Um, they are still, of course, subservient to their moneyed interests. And, of course, the establishment wing of the Republicans is very similar, of course. Yeah. Uh, but they were shaken up quite a bit by Trump in 2016, and that has had a pretty interesting effect on on their party. If there's a, a, a takeover by the Sanders campaign of the um, of the Democratic Party, it'll be interesting to see whether, in the event uh, of something like you know a, a Sanders win in, in the presidency, whether it'd be the, sort of the same effect of of all the sort of Democrats coalescing around Sanders, which is I, I very much doubt would happen with Trump. It was sort of almost a a, a, a means of survival within the, mm, the, the mm, party. Mm. Not subscribing to the Trumpian, uh, Trumpist sort of ideology meant you were essentially castrated uh, by the party yep. membership. Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that same effect happens if, if of course, Bernie Sanders wins the presidency. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, it'd be, honestly, be really fascinating to see what would happen in that instance. Well, I yeah, very much doubt it. I think it's 2020 hasn't disappointed so far when it comes to US politics. No. It's been extremely busy and lots of pretty major things have happened, to be honest. And now it's kind of put us on this trajectory where we actually don't know what is going to happen at all no. before uh, uh, the November election. So we'll definitely keep our eyes peeled for that. Um, well, I think that just about wraps up the show, doesn't it? We covered, I think so. you know, the the big goings on U.S. politics. It's a very U.S. centric episode, but uh, there wasn't too much else going on in other countries mm-hmm. at the moment, so it was uh, very interesting to look at. Well, actually, before we sure. sign off, we might talk about the exchange. Uh, oh yes, yes. So essentially, uh, to all our listeners, we just we want to tell you about a uh, think tank slash <laughs> website. We came up with. Uh, Really, just to you know, uh, first of all, I'm a training journalist, so I want to you know publish some some articles, you know, engage in my work, uh, you know, expand upon my skills in writing and research and whatever. So I think a good idea was to to create a website in which this podcast can be a part of. And of course, uh, Seb has a bit more of a, a you know a, a journal article background with mm-hmm. with a, his his degree. And uh, he's actually just published a healthcare report on the Australian healthcare system, which actually goes in depth into the uh, the discrepancies between the private and the public system and how, yeah. how they balance each other out and if that's effective. So yeah. it's actually a very intriguing read. So uh, What do you think of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'd uh, implore you all to look at that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so from now on, basically, in, in each ep- description of each episode, with the normal links, I'll just add the link to the website. So... Go there if you wish, so you can check it out. This podcast will be kind of married to the to the mm-hmm. website uh, from from now on. It will be part of this the umbrella of the exchanger. So yep, yep. hopefully we can get our readership up. Uh, we have a Facebook page, so you can go like that. Your um your Oscars um list is actually doing pretty well in the exchanger from from what I remember. Oh, um, the the um uh, have you looked at the analytics? Yeah, yeah I was looking at the analytics because mm-hmm. uh, it's actually doing uh, fairly well. So yeah, if you didn't know, Tom had made a. a an article about the um, what's called the upcoming Oscars, of course, which we'll, we'll yeah. probably cover uh, well, after the. That's uh, that's an, another thing about the, the the website, the Exchanger. We're going to talk about many things, so mm-hmm. it's it's not just strictly you know restricted to 
content that we talk about in the podcast, which no, is no. only politics. We'll, we'll we probably, probably explore more things than we usually yeah, do. Yeah, I think we'll do culture, art, philosophy, because as with journalism, you can write opinion on virtually everything. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about culture, art, philosophy, politics, uh, maybe even science. You know, yeah. we're, we're not afraid to, to cover everything. So um, I think that now wraps up the episode. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Please uh, check the link below. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. What?